All right, man, let me start out by sending some love out to everybody in our Compassion family who's watching this service online with us today. Uh, man, I am so thankful that you're so adaptable and flexible, uh, even in the midst of this totally unprecedented time of change. But can I tell you something? I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised at all. You know, followers of Jesus always do the best of things in the worst of times. And I don't have to tell you that true character always comes out, you know, under stress. And can I just say, man, your character is shining like gold. Man, I prayed with the Lighthouse team at our Statesboro campus last Saturday. I mean, as the cars just started lining up for help. Uh, man, they were coming for groceries and, and help and prayer. And, and again, our teams are not just handing out groceries. Man, they are praying with these folks so that their physical and spiritual needs are being met. Uh, one of our campuses is handing out cookies that we make through our manna food services here. And man, they're pushing these cookies out to the schools and hospitals and fire stations and police stations in their community. Uh, man, so many, you know, so many of these first responders are risking their lives every day in what is often a thankless job. And I'm just telling you, I'm glad our church is going out in the love of Christ to just say thank you. Uh, I've spoken to Compassion Christians on multiple campuses who are delivering groceries to elderly members of our church and elderly folk in our communities, you know, to expo uh, save them from the exposure they would have to face in grocery stores. Uh, one of the ladies out delivering groceries is a, a mother of four, and she's delivering groceries for a widow in our church. And I just got to tell you, I love that. And Frank, can I say, if you want help or if you need help, man, go to our Compassion Christian uh, website and we will show you the Give Help, uh, Get Help tab. And man, that's your next step. Now, I, I know I talked about this last week, but friends, people are giving their lives to Christ on this uh, online service every week. And man, we're baptizing people into Christ on almost every campus, almost every week you know, you know, it's just like when Paul sent the gospel out in letters to places where he couldn't physically reach. Man, our online service is doing the same thing. And I'm telling you, the gospel is reaching people and changing lives. And I'm praying it's going to happen today. I'm praying some of you today are going to make a decision for Christ. And if you want to know how, just hit that prayer button at the bottom of your screen or get on the chat and just say, I want to talk about giving my life to Christ. And somebody will connect with you right now and lead you to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Now, friends, thank you. Thank you for being so faithful in praying and serving and giving. I mean, faithfully giving so that we have the resources to do these good works that we're doing to honor our Father in heaven in our community in these hard times. And by the way, <clears throat> because of your generosity, our downtown campus gets closer and closer to ready uh, for ministry every day. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, we got volunteers downtown landscaping that place. Uh, we got volunteer artists, you know, from the SCAD community. We're setting up to make that house feel like more of a home when we get in there for ministry. Uh, and I'm just telling you, man, thank you for your generosity. I'm praying that because of you, that downtown campus will be ready for ministry as soon as it is safe for us to publicly start having services. Now, just to keep you informed on when that's going to happen, we're going to have a little family meeting on Monday night, May 18th at 7 o'clock online, and you are all invited to that. Uh, I need to let you know about some decisions we made about our ministry for the summer uh, and what we're thinking about in terms of re-entering, you know, our worship services publicly. Uh, and so I hope you will plan to join us on May the 18th at 7 o'clock. Uh, if you want to submit a question in advance, you know, that we can talk about, uh, you can do that by just going to Compassion Christian 
ChristianChristian.com forward slash response. Uh, and then we'll receive that question and try to address, you know, whatever your concern is. And if you can't make it, uh, we'll have the meeting on demand at our website after, after Monday night. And you can see it that way. So <clears throat> did y'all notice I'm rocking my uh, Clemson shirt today? Uh, hope so. This shirt was a gift from Pastor Marcus Johnson who leads our student ministry teams here at Compassion. Now, Marcus is a diehard, you know, fanatical Georgia fan. And of course, I am just a humble Christian Clemson fan. And I love the Bulldogs and I pull for the Bulldogs, uh, you know, every game of the year, except for one, all right? And, you know, when Georgia plays Clemson, I, I'm conflicted. Now, last time Georgia played Clemson, Marcus suggested that he and I have a little arrangement. And so if Clemson won, he would wear a Clemson shirt the next time he had to preach here at our church. And if Georgia won, then I would wear a Georgia shirt the next time I got to preach here. And friends, this is Marcus's shirt. This is the shirt he wore to preach after Clemson just tore the Bulldogs up. Now, while he was preaching, he told everybody that uh, he was wearing that shirt because he lost a bet with our pastor. And then concerned folk came to me saying, Cam, man, we heard you're gambling with Marcus Johnson. I thought you were against gambling. And I told him, I am against gambling. That wasn't gambling for me. That was gambling for Marcus. Uh, I know what my team could do. That wasn't gambling on my side. Now, you know, that kind of opposition resolves pretty easily when it comes to college football. I wish Americans were that amicable in the area of politics. Now, as I promised, we're starting a new series today that we're calling The Separation of Church and Hate. And I'm excited about this series because man, when the culture is the most divided, that's when they need to see a church that is powerfully united. And man, I'm really indebted to my friend Shane Phillips and Andy Stanley for some of the teaching they've done on this. And they just convinced me this is something we need to talk about. And so we're gonna talk about it. Now, I'm sure you've heard that there are two things that get a little awkward when you talk about them in public. Uh, one is faith and one is politics. Now, honestly, I find it very hard to not talk about faith when we get together as a church. I do it every stinking weekend. Friends, you know it. I'm not apologetic about it. That's why you come here. On the other hand, I find it really easy to not talk about politics because honestly, that's not the church's agenda. And in addition, nothing divides people like politics. And friends, it has gotten a lot worse in the last few years. Now, I have a friend named Jonathan Falwell. <clears throat> His, he's the pastor of a great church in Lynchburg, Virginia. His dad was Jerry Falwell. And Jerry Falwell was a pastor who got really involved in conservative political issues back in the 70s. Uh, he founded an organization called the Moral Majority. Uh, man, he had a high impact on our nation's political process. But Jonathan told me that one of his dad's closest friends was Ted Kennedy. Ted Kennedy was considered the, the liberal lion of the U.S. Senate back in the 70s, man. He and Jerry didn't see eye to eye on almost anything. I mean, they were fierce opponents on so many issues, abortion, prayer in school, all of that stuff. But they were friends. Jonathan told me that he remembered Teddy Roosevelt spending the weekend in his family's home in Lynchburg. And he remembered going and staying with his family at the Kennedy home in Massachusetts. Now, friends, Jerry Falwell and Ted Kennedy had a very cordial, warm friendship, even though they were on the total opposite sides of many, many political issues. And Jonathan was just lamenting in our conversation how rare 
that is to see in America today. I mean, today, you don't see that kind of friendship across the party lines. Now, we have a lot of that here in Georgia, and I thank God for that. But dude, on the national level, things have really changed. I'm sure you've noticed that our country has become more bitterly divided politically and more vitriolic and ruthless on social media and just about everywhere else. And you know what? It used to be that when we didn't agree, we would have a spirited debate about why we believe what we believe. I mean, we would talk about concepts and ideas and policies, but now if we disagree, it's not about content, it's about character. We start impugning everybody's character. We try to label and disable with hyperbole. Dude, if you don't see everything exactly the way I see it, you're an idiot. You're corrupt. You are a bigot, hater, socialist, dude, whatever. And friends, if we're not careful, that same spirit of division will seep its way into the church and we'll become part of the problem instead of part of the solution. So we're going to take a few weeks and talk about how the church can help, you know, help our country and stand out in a culture that is just horribly and angrily divided. Now, I know some of y'all are a little anxious about this series because we're meeting online and we can't meet face to face and talk things over afterwards. And honestly, you just don't even like the idea of broaching this subject. And then others of us are really excited because you're thinking those Republicans are going to get it now. Man, those Democrats, they're finally going to get straightened out now. And can I, get, can I just put you at ease? I'm not here to tell you how to vote. That's not my plan. You're a wise person. You're a son or daughter of God. You, you have the Holy Spirit. You have godly mentors. You have deep spiritual convictions. Man, you can pray about this issue and make a decision that aligns with your faith, a decision that will honor God that you can talk with God about someday. But let me be real clear. When I interviewed with the elders of this church 35 years ago, one of the first questions I asked was, is everybody welcome here? And they said, oh yeah. I said, no, no. I'm talking about black, white, Asian, Hispanic, men, women, Democrat, Republicans, every kind of center. Is there anybody who is not welcome here? Because my dream is to see Jesus build his church like he promised to do in Matthew chapter 16 when he said, hey, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. Now, I was 27 back in the time and I didn't know everything, but I'll tell you what I did know. I did know that if you want to build a prevailing church, if anybody's not welcome, Jesus won't come either. And it's really hard to build a prevailing church if Jesus is not a part of it. So my dream was to serve a ministry that was generationally diverse and ethnically diverse and economically and educationally diverse, just like the New Testament church. And friends, that means the church is politically diverse too. And that's exactly the kind of church Jesus has built here. Uh, I remember one of my friends, a compassionate Christian from the Effingham campus, was the Republican president of the Georgia Senate. And at the very same time, I had another friend, a, a Compassion Christian member who was a part of our downtown campus, who was the chairman of the Chatham County Democratic Party. I mean, a pro-life Democrat who believed in and fought for the sanctity of life in his party, trying to change it from the inside. And at the same time, my compassionate Republican friend was helping the poorest of the poor, not only in Georgia by partnering with people across the aisle on policy issues, 
but he was personally taking mission trips on his, at his own expense to the poorest places in Africa to pray and minister and serve people who are struggling with poverty and helplessness every single day. Both of those men, fierce followers of Jesus. And listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, kingdom membership means far more to you than party membership, even though they both felt compelled to serve the parties that they supported. But here's the point. Friends, Jesus dreamed of a church where everybody was welcome. Everybody was respected. Everybody, you know, was growing to be more and more like him, regardless of where they started from. So friends, when you walk out the door of your house or you get online, you have a supernatural power to show that kind of unconditional love and that kind of universal respect in a country that is just ripping itself apart. So over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the character of the New Testament church and the power it has to heal our nation and friends, heal us from the kind of caustic, mean-spirited stuff that you see every day on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and between political parties on the news every single day. Now, you know, there are actually some people who, in my opinion, got this right. And I think one of them was Billy Graham. Now, this is a great picture of Billy Graham with the Republican and Democrat, Democratic presidents. Man, Dr. Graham was an amazing guy. He, he, he had political opinions. He was a guy who voted, but he ministered to every president of the United States for 70 years. I mean, from Trump, Truman to Trump. Now, when Dr. Graham would be asked about politics, you know what he would say? I'm not for the, well, I wish I could imitate him, but I can't. I'm not for the left wing. I'm not for the right wing. I'm for the whole bird. And Kent, friends, I got to believe that on your best day in Christ, so are you. You know, I asked a Republican leader in our church what he thought were some of the best contributions of the Democratic Party to our nation in the last just recent history. And you know something? I was really thankful that this honest Republican leader would affirm solid contributions that he saw in the other party. Now, let me tell you, he would be in deep disagreement with other values in their platform. But I was thankful that as a godly man, he could see why reasonable people would support that party. And then I asked a leader in our church that I thought was a Democrat. Uh, he told me he wasn't a Democrat. He was an independent, but I think he might be a Democrat. But anyway, uh, you know, I asked him, what do you think of some of the best Republican Party contributions to our country in recent history? And you know what? I appreciate the way he also showed appreciation for the contribution of another party that he would have deep disagreements with. But he could see why people, reasonable people, would support that party as well. Now, again, friends, I'm not trying to tell you who to vote for. Uh, and I hope you will exercise, you know, your influence and your opportunity as an American to cast a vote next November. But in November and until November, I'm praying your primary affiliation will be to the kingdom of God and always to the kingdom of God. And if that's true, there are some questions you're going to have to answer. Here's one. Will you put your faith filter before your political? Back up, back up. Will you put your faith filter before your political filter? Now, I'm telling you, this is very, very hard for some of us to do. But if a Jesus is number one, he needs to be number one. Right? How about this question? 
Will you honor Jesus when your faith creates a distance between your spiritual convictions from the scripture and the position, the party that you want to support holds? And friends, I'm telling you, unless you are totally self-deceived, you know that's going to happen. And so will you honor Jesus first or are you just going to go along with your crowd? Here's another question. Will you call out the wrong you see even in the party that you support because of the integrity of your faith? And listen, man, I don't care what party you're in. Your faith is going to challenge you to be faithful in all these things. And here's the hard part. You're going to be challenged to be faithful in a way that honors the Lord, in a way that honors the Lord. Now, listen, New Testament followers had the same conflict. Man, they found themselves crushed between, you know, the Roman Empire on one side and the Jewish temple on the other side. And yet, man, they found a way to be faithful even in the midst of that conflict. And friends, we're going to find ourselves often in conflict between the kingdom of Jesus and the government system that we support. And I'm telling you, I don't care what party you're in, you're going to have to choose. Am I going to honor the Lord or am I going to honor the world? So the question is, how do we navigate this? And so in this series, I want to suggest three normal Christian character traits that I believe God will use to increase our influence for him and empower our testimony and hopefully make the world we live in a lot better and a lot less divided. So over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about facing this election year with civility and humility and unity. Okay. Now, friends, this series is not intended to get you to change your political party or even to change your political views. This series is, is, is intended to help you change the way you respond to each other in this political environment. And I think it's probably going to make all of us a little bit uncomfortable. But I know that if you decide to follow the teachings of the New Testament, it's also going to make you better. It's going to make you better. So open your Bible with me to James chapter 1. James chapter one, and listen, we're going to unpack a verse about civility that you need to mark and you need to memorize. And if you do, I'm telling you, man, you, you will think about this verse every day for the rest of your life. All right. So let's talk about civility. <clears throat> James, the brother of Jesus, gives us a picture of how a follower of Christ should respond to other folk, especially when talking about something that is potentially divisive or explosive, and he gives us three commands in James chapter 1, 19 and 20, uh, one quick and two slows. All right, look, look at how he starts. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Now stop right here. Notice who he's talking to, brothers and sisters. He's talking to followers of Jesus, people who are inside the body of Christ. Listen, James would never presume, he would never expect that anybody who did not live love Jesus and have the Holy Spirit would be able to live the way he's going to command us to live in this verse. Look what he says. Look what he says next. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Friends, the anger, the anger of man does not produce the righteous life that God desires. Now, when you get into a conflict or you get into an ag argument or a difficult conversation, and you just do what comes naturally. I'll tell you what happens. Your ears stop hearing and your mouth starts racing. And honestly, sometimes your heart can get really hot. But James says, if we're going to live the righteous life that God desires, 
Man, we need to learn how to respond to tense situations in a godly way. And then James tells us what that will look like. He says, first of all, you need to be quick to listen. Quick to listen. Now, friends, this is the opposite of what most of us are just geared to do. You know, most of us are quick to speak and we are slow to listen. You know, it's kind of like that old saying that God gave you two ears and one mouth, you know, so that you would listen twice as much as you talk. But I'm telling you, very few people do that. Now, James is saying in this passage that when you get into a situation where you disagree with somebody, your default mode needs to be quick to listen. And when you think about it, that's exactly what you want everybody to do for you. Listen, man, when there's a disagreement, usually both people want exactly the same thing. Both parties want to be heard. Both parties want to be understood. Man, I want you to be quick to listen and slow to speak when I'm talking. And you want me to be quick to listen and slow to speak when you're talking. But that's never going to happen if we're always verbally on the offense. You know, we're not listening to anybody. We're just trying to make our point. Dude, you got to know that not everybody experiences the world the way we do. Man, we all come from different backgrounds, which means we see the world differently. We look at the world through different lenses. Man, we all have biases based on our experience and our family and our upbringing and all of that. Consequently, we don't understand people who grew up and had different experiences from us. But if we will listen, we will learn. And I want to encourage you when conversations get tough like this, and it, and it will in this political season, I want to encourage you to be a student as well as a critic. Now, of course, you need to think critically, of course, but you need to learn too. Man, listen to people who don't experience the world the way you do. Listen to their story. Let them talk about their family, their experiences. Ask them, why do you believe what you believe? Listen to people who are different than you. I got into a conversation with a pastor friend that I love, but let me tell you, he comes from a different ethnic background than I do. Uh, and we see things <laughs> from two different angles, right? We have a lot in common, but there are also some things that we just see from a different angle. And we got to talking about the character of the candidates who are running for president one year. And I asked him how in the world he could support a candidate who had issues that I thought were just obvious deal breakers. And when I asked him that question, he didn't blow up. He didn't start yelling at me. He told me about some other work that candidate had done that he thought showed enormous character and enormous compassion that he thought made our country better in his view. And guess what? I did not agree with him. I didn't agree with what he said, but I love him. And he believed it was some such passion that for the very first time I understood why my friend could support that candidate. I mean, if that's what he believed, I could understand why he would want to support them, even though I did not agree with him and would not support that candidate. Now, friends, I learned by listening. And I think our friendship got stronger and I got wiser and he got wiser because we were both willing to listen. You know, so often we're just quick to speak. We just want to speak our mind. James said, bro, if you want to understand and if you want to be part of the solution, you got to be quick to listen. Now, here's the second part. James says, be slow to speak. Literally, that means be late to speak. You know, when it comes to your words, instead of trying to be the first to blurt, 
dude, be willing to be late to speak. Now, sometimes uh, going slow in speech is all about accuracy. Uh, man, I had a professor in graduate school. His name was Dr. Dean Walker, and he was a genius. I mean, 84 years old when he was teaching me, and that guy was razor sharp. But when somebody would ask him a question, I'm telling you, he would stand like this, and he would just think. I mean, sometimes for 15, 20, 30, 40 seconds. And then he would tell us what he thought, and of course, we're writing it down as fast as we could, right? But listen, he expected us to do the same thing. And so when he asked us a question, if you just tossed up, you know, some unthought through answer, he would stop the class and take your lame response apart word by silly word and make you explain in front of everybody. Why did you choose to use this word or that word? And here's the word you should have used if that's what you actually wanted to say. And then you say something ridiculous like, well, I, guess I, I didn't really mean to use that word. And he would say, why'd you use it? I mean, accuracy was important to him. And this would go on for the first week or two or three of classes until literally, if he asked, Mr. Huxford, what do you think? And he asked me a question. I would sit there 20 or 30 seconds framing my answer and he would wait. But I would frame that answer just for, out of fear that man, he was gonna take my answer apart again in front of everybody. And that old man told us a thousand times, Think about what you want to say. And then you say exactly what you think. Don't exaggerate. Don't use hyperbole. Don't use the wrong word. Say exactly what you think accurately. Now, <clears throat> last week, I was moved by grief uh, to make an Instagram post that I feel really deeply about regarding a har that horrible shooting uh, down in Brunswick in February. Uh, I watched uh, that kid that was killed. I watched his mother, you know, grieving for him, Mother's Day weekend. And I just felt compelled to make a post about that. And I left out one word that I should have said. One word would have made that post more accurate. Now, it would have been more powerful because it would have been more, power, more accurate. And I'm not sorry that I made that post. I am sorry that I wasn't slower to speak. My words would have been more powerful if I had just thought a little bit more before I spoke. Now, friends, being slow to speak often makes you more accurate. But sometimes being slow to speak is about understanding. And let me tell you, Jesus was the master at this. I mean, Jesus just put a clinic on, on how to speak slowly. And one of his strategies was to ask questions. I mean, sometimes, you know, the best way to help somebody understand is not to make some blatant, obnoxious statement, you know, some verbal, you know, battle. The, the best way sometimes to help people understand is to ask a question. And dude, Jesus was masterful at using questions, not only to gain understanding, but to help other people gain understanding. You know, I think sometimes we mistakenly believe that the goal is to win the argument when the real goal is to learn enough to help somebody else change the way they think. And many times telling them an answer is not as effective as asking them a really good question that makes them figure the answer out. Now, think of the humility that that requires. Rather than just jabbing answers at people, Many times Jesus would ask them a question that made them think. 
I mean, you remember he asked a paralyzed man one time, you really want to get well? That's a lot of responsibility, you know. You want to get well? Had to answer that question. He asked Peter, who do people say I am? And they told him, all right, who do you say I am? Uh, he asked his disciples one time, what are y'all arguing about back there while we were traveling? He asked another guy, why do you say I'm good? Why do you call me good? Answer the question. He asked one time, oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? He asked Peter three times, bro, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me, man? Now, friends, the first time we hear Jesus speak in the New Testament, he is asking a question. He is 12 years old and he asked his mom, don't you know, uh, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Man, his mother was fussing at him because she left him back at Jerusalem for three days. But he didn't defend himself. He asked Joseph and Mary a question. I mean, the last words we hear from Jesus before he dies on the cross is a haunting question. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we you know we tried to answer that back at Easter time, but that is a powerful question. Do you know how many questions Jesus asked in the New Testament? Now, I would say the Gospels, but he asked one of the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. 307. 307 questions of Jesus are recorded in the New Testament. And that's not the cool part. The cool part is how he asked those questions to people who often totally disagreed with him or totally misunderstood him. I mean, very often he would ask a question and then not even give people the answer. I mean, listen, think about who Jesus asked questions of. He asked tax collectors questions, prostitutes, fishermen, politicians, experts in the law, Gentile unbelievers, people who disagreed with him. But Jesus was more interested more interested in saving them than he was in beating them in a debate. And so in a way, asking questions is an act of servanthood. I mean, apparently Jesus believed that sometimes people grow way better by wrestling with a question than they do by just slapping them with an answer. Let me tell you some of the questions that have really helped me. Help me understand. <laughs> this, this is one of my favorite questions. Help me understand. Man, this is what I asked my pastor friend. Help me understand how you can support this candidate. And you know what? He gave me an answer and I learned something. And so did he. I lead two discipleship groups every week and I start every group every week with the same question almost every week. Give me one word that describes where you are in your spiritual life right now. Give me one word that describes where you are in your spiritual life right now. And you know what? I ask those guys and I ask myself and we sit and we think, and then we slowly and thoughtfully talk about what's going on in here. Now, friends, one of the dangers of speaking too fast is that the minute I start talking, I stop listening, which means I stop learning. I mean, for example, let me just ask you, have you ever heard yourself say, I don't know why anybody would do that. I don't know why anybody would think that, believe that, say that. I don't know why anybody would vote for that person. Listen, when you say something like that, you've just made a confession. There's something you don't know. There's something you don't understand. And so you can just keep on blabbing those same lines all the time, or you can slow down and ask a question and listen. Help me understand why you think that, why you said that, why you take that position, why you feel that way, and then listen. Hey. 
they may not even know why they think that way. They may not even know why they hold this position. I mean, they honestly maybe just be parroting what everybody else in their little group has said. They've never thought about it at all. But because you gently ask a question, now they got to think about it. And friends, I'm telling you, if you slow down and you ask the right question, you probably both learn something. You'll understand where they're coming from and they'll understand where you're coming from. And I think James would say, you know, when tensions are high, we need to seek to understand. And I just want to encourage you to be a student rather than a critic. You know, <laughs> what you learn is going to probably reinforce your position. And if you have a good position, you have nothing to fear by being quick to listen and slow to speak. And then James says, be slow to become angry. Now, Dr. Neil Clark Warren is the founder of eHarmony.com, but he's actually a Christian counselor who had a whole counseling career before he started that company. And while he was counseling, he wrote a book entitled Make, Making Anger Your Ally. Now, Dr. Warren uh, wrote in this book, the more you explode when you get upset, the more likely you are to explode the next time and the next time and the next time because outbursts of anger are a habit. I mean, a bad habit. Friends, this is why scripture warns us not to give the devil a foothold through our anger. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you blow up or whether you clam up. You might be thinking, well, that's just my personality. The Bible calls it a demonic foothold. When anger is out of control in your life, when you respond all the time with anger, dude, that's a demonic foothold in your life. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, do, uh, in your anger, do not sin. Of course, you're going to be angry sometimes, but don't ever let it cause you to sin. Man, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Don't give the devil a foothold. Listen, this is why temper tantrums are a disqualifier for leadership in the church. I mean, read 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. Men who can't control their temper, they're not qualified to serve as an elder or deacon in the church. This is why we're warned, you know, about fathers exasperating your children with, with uncontrolled anger. Dude, this is why James says human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Now, here's the good news. Now, this is really good news. If you learn to be quick to listen and slow to speak, you are far less likely to get angry. <laughs> it's just the truth. And of course, anger in and of itself is not a sin. I mean, Jesus got angry about a lot of stuff. Uh, Tim Harlow, good friend of mine, uh, just wrote a book entitled, What Made Jesus Mad? And you ought to read that book and see if that stuff makes you mad. And if you get mad about other stuff, you ought to be asking yourself, why? Dude, the Apostle Paul tells us, of course you're going to get angry. You ought to get angry about sin and injustice and unnecessary suffering in our world. But in your anger, do not sin. Man, it's what you get angry about and how you respond to your anger that determines whether it's a sin or not. Thank God James gave us a formula, you know, in this passage that will help. James is teaching us that the longer you listen, the more you will learn and the less angry you will be. And it doesn't mean you'll ever change your position. It might make your position stronger, but because you're not angry and because you've listened, you can now share your position in a way that is far more persuasive than just blowing up on everybody on Facebook every time you disagree about something. Now, listen, again, this series is not intended to get you to change your political party or your political view. 
This series is intended to change the way you respond as a disciple of Jesus to other folks. And let me tell you, your political candidate is going to win or lose based on the, how the citizens of our country vote on one day in November. But the kingdom of God, the church, will win or lose based on how we treat each other every day. Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by your love. And that begins with civility. You know, Andy Stanley says we should never burn a relational bridge over a political position. Think about that. We should never burn a relational bridge over a political position. Why in the world would you burn down a relationship with somebody who needs the Lord over a political disagreement? Doesn't have to be that way. Think about it, man. Every conversion story in the New Testament begins with two people on opposite sides of an issue who have a civil conversation. I mean, do you remember the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 17? He goes to Athens. And listen, if you're following me with the New Testament challenge, we're going to be reading right through Acts 17 in another week or so. You're going to love this. But he goes to Athens and he meets a bunch of people who he totally disagrees with. And he didn't try to label them or disable them. I mean, he didn't say, you stinking idol worshipers are idiots. You're idiots. You make gods with your own hands and then bow down and worship. Dude, you got gods you don't even have name for. You jokers are ridiculous. He doesn't do that. You know why? Because he's not a jerk. He's civil to them and very persuasive. I mean, read the story in Acts 17. He says, hey, I know you folks are very religious. Man, you've got idols uh, and statues of gods all over your community. I even saw a God, and listen, Paul disagrees with everything they believe about their religion. But he says, hey, I passed the altar today to the unknown God. And I just want to tell you, that's my God. I can tell you what his name is. His name is Jesus. He rose from the dead. I saw him after his resurrection. Thousands of other people did too. Let me ask you a question. Would you like me to tell you about him? And they said, yes, we'd love to hear about that. And Paul led some of those flawed Athenian thinkers to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Now, friends, we will never win the world of Jesus through obnoxious Facebook posts. That, that, that will never work. I love what Frederick, Frederick Buechner says. Although kindness is not the same thing as holiness, it's awfully close. It's awfully close. So here's my prayer for this series. My prayer is that you're going to learn how to disagree politically and love unconditionally. That's what I'm hoping is going to happen for you, that you'll learn how to disagree politically and yet love unconditionally. And friends, here's what I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you will look, look for an opportunity to love unconditionally somebody with whom you disagree politically. Look for that opportunity. And I know what some of y'all are thinking right now. Cam, I don't even, I'm not even close to anybody that I disagree with politically. Dude, that's the problem. That's part of the problem. I mean, how in the world are you going to learn anything if you never have a civil conversation with somebody who disagrees with you? Friends, I'm telling you, listening and learning is an act of humility. And humility is one of the things that God has promised to bless. And we're going to talk about that next week. But here's your homework for this week. Your homework for this week is to look for an opportunity. Come on. Look for an opportunity to love unconditionally somebody with whom you disagree politically and be quick to listen 
slow to speak and slow to anger so that you will live the righteous life that God desires. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time we've been able to open your word. And I just pray, God, that you would use this message to challenge us. Father, we need to be challenged to listen, quick to listen. And we need to be challenged to be slow to speak and slow to anger, especially in the kind of turbulent, hostile, verbally reckless world that we live in today. I just pray, God, that the worse our culture gets, and it's gonna get worse, the brighter our light will shine. And people will see in us a peace and a purity and a encouragement and a positive love for, you know, even the people who, you know, we totally disagree with. And I pray that Jesus' prophecy in John 13 will come true, that people will be drawn to the love they see in us and they will know that we're your disciples because of the way we love one another. I pray God that you would bless now anybody watching this service who knows I don't have that. I don't have that power in me. I don't have that track record because I've never given my life to Jesus. And I pray God that today will be the day that they will get on that chat and say, I need to talk about a relationship with Jesus. And let this be the beginning of a conversation that will lead them to eternal life. This is our prayer, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Man, right before Paul was in Athens talking to those folks who had all those idols, he was in Berea, and he was talking to people about what God was doing. And he says that they, were, uh, they had their minds open to hear his word, but then they did something about it. They actually studied the scripture after hearing the word of God to find out if what they were hearing was true. Every week, we come together and we preach from the Word of God. We want you to not only hear the Word of God with an open mind, but we also want you to test it, to put into action what we're talking about. And so to help you do that, I just want to approach three questions with you that'll help you kind of engage what you heard tonight on a deeper level. So first, this question helps us illustrate how love and and disagreement can coexist. And so what I want you to do is I want you to think of this. Uh, Who's the friend that you love the most Uh, but with whom you also disagree the most. And I bet we can all think of somebody in our lives who we love, but we still disagree with them. So I just want you to kind of take a minute to consider that, maybe discuss it as a family. The second question is, have you ever had a conversation that changed the way you think about someone for the better. You know, impressions are important. And often when we are, are able to listen with open ears and open hearts, we're able to hear from somebody and it changes our entire perspective about who they are. And I bet if you think hard enough, you can think a time in your life when that happened to you. And so I'd like you to reflect on that. The third question is, how do you think God expects you to treat people that hold positions you cannot respect? You know, God uh, values all of his creation, all of his people, and he has an expectation uh, of how we're supposed to treat each other with love. And so we should really consider that when we know somebody that has a position that we don't respect and don't agree with. Hey, before we go, and I've, we've enjoyed our time with you tonight. We, we're so thankful for that. Uh, why don't we spend a moment and just, I, want, I just want to ask you, if you're in a place where you need to take a step in this, maybe you need some help to make some of these hard choices and you want to, uh, to receive prayer, or maybe you're in a position in your life where you're ready to turn your life over to Christ, where you're ready to live for Him, and you want to make a decision to make Him the Lord of your life. Well, both of these things we'd like to help you with, and all you need to do is engage us in the chat, and we'll be happy to talk to you about what that could look like or to pray with you on your journey with Christ.
Before we go, there are a few things I want to let you know about, and one that's really, man, important. Uh, we have a family meeting. Our church is coming together for a family meeting on Monday, May 18th at 7 p.m. To join us for that meeting, man, just go to CompassionChristian.com, and there'll be a little place you can click there to join us for that family meeting. Um, Cam's going to give us an update on how things are going, how we're walking forward into the future. We're really excited about that. If you have a question that you'd like to, to submit, you can go to CompassionChristian.com backslash response. We've enjoyed our time with you uh, and we just hope that you have a great uh, day.